So this morning, I'm, I'm pretty excited uh, because I'm not speaking, but that's not the reason I'm really excited. Some of you are really excited too, aren't you? So um, actually, uh, Lance Ford is here, and Lance, you're going to get to know him here in just, in just a few minutes. Uh, Lance is an author, a, uh, a church planning resource uh, guy. He, in fact, remember Brad Briscoe spoke about, I don't know, six weeks, eight weeks ago. Um, and Brad and Lance wrote a book called The Missional Quest. And, and many of you have read it. I know all of our leaders have read it. In fact, some of our community groups are using The Missional Quest and also Missional Essentials, which is the, the kind of the partner with Missional Quest in your community groups. And, uh, and, and you're going to hear from Lance that Lance, Lance, his journey is interesting because Lance was, was a pastor and, and was pastoring kind of a church like we've experienced, yet God was stirring something deep within his heart about what the church really should look like which set him on really a missional journey to understand what the church should be shaped like and what it looks like in the world and how as individual, individual followers of Jesus, how we live out the mission and the reality of our identity as missionaries. And so Lance is going to share with us this morning. I know you're really going to be blessed and challenged by what he says this morning. So would you say good morning and welcome to Lance as he comes to share with us today. All right. Thanks, John. Appreciate it, bro. Good morning. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask you to, well, old school we'd say, turn in your Bibles, but now we say, turn on your iPhone. <laughs> so whatever, whatever you have available, we're going to um, spend a little time in the Word, and I'm going to, since I need a new glasses prescription and can't see that clock back there, I'm going to start my timer. So, anyway, well, usually I say it, it, it doesn't take but a couple of sentences out of me, and people say, he's not from around here. So, you've probably already picked up on that. Um, so, I, uh, I grew up in Texas. Any, this is when it's, you're supposed to like go. The Texans are supposed to, at least, the, is there any Texans here? Any? Okay, good, good. Okay. So, uh but I've lived in Missouri for, golly, probably the last, m- most of the last 23 or 24 years, where most of my adult ministry is, has taken place. And uh, as John said, I was a ch- church planter and a pastor for 20 years or so. And uh, uh, quite a journey, uh, the fact that I'm more and more through the years and meeting more and more pastors and leaders, that the Holy Spirit and the Lord speaking and doing the same thing in them that He was doing in my life and continues to do. Uh, I want to, and, and we'll unpack some of that, uh, some of that. But I, and the way I want to do that, I want to just ask you to kind of uh, imagine a scenario with me, and this will kind of set up where we want to go this morning. So. Kind of picture in your mind a typical. Is this this isn't a trap door here or anything, is it? Because it really looks sketchy. It just looks really sketchy. It's like, okay, if this guy stinks, we've got a button back here. And John will be right back up here. So, and they got like four of them here. So, any spot they can get you. So, so uh, imagine a, the typical suburban setting. It may you maybe you grew up in the suburbs, maybe you live in the suburbs, but just picture. A suburban neighborhood. Picture that it's in the. Um, it's a summer evening. Sun's gone down. 
kind of sitting out uh, on the driveway as a, um, a grill where a few people have grilled some burgers, hot dogs, whatever. And, and so now there's about six or eight neighbors that are sitting on the front lawn in lawn chairs. Beer coolers there. They're just enjoying one another, enjoying the evening. At some point, one of the guys in the circles kind of points down to the street at a, there's a moving van uh, sitting out in front of the house and says, hey, has anyone met the, the new people that moved into Brian and Stacy's old place? And uh, one, of the, one of the ladies in the group says, yeah, I did. I was, I was running the other day, and, and uh, I came by, and, and I saw the wife getting some stuff out of the car, and so I took the opportunity to introduce myself and welcome her to the neighborhood. And so uh, one of the guys said, would you find anything out about them? Where are they from? She says, I think they're, she said they're from Cincinnati. I think he works for Procter & Gamble or some tech firm or something. And uh, they got two kids. And Oh, I meant to tell you guys. This was, I meant to bring this up. This was the best part. They're evangelical Christians. And, man, they got a Jesus fish on the back of their car and everything. Now, when she says this, everybody in the group just jumps up. Beer goes flying. They're high-fiving. And they're like, yes. That's what this neighborhood needed. We needed some evangelicals. Yes. <clears throat> Why are you laughing at that? Why is that story make us laugh? Why? Because we know that's not the reaction. Right? We know that's not the reaction. Now, the, here's the deal. We would like to soothe our evangelical conscience by saying that's not the reaction because the darkness hates the light. Maybe a little bit. But for the most part, the world looks at evangelical Christians not as good news when they move into the neighborhood. And, and the irony is that, of that is the word evangelical comes from the word gospel. It's the Greek word euangelion, evangel, gospel. What's the word gospel mean? What? Let's try it again. Anybody go to seminary? Good news. Good news. The irony is it, it, it's, it's, we've had a turning in the last few decades in America to the point where the peop very people that call themselves good news are not looked at as good news. All the statistics show it. In fact, there's a mass amount of books and research that's been written over the last 10 or 12 years showing that the American church is in trending, massive trending decline. Among 30-year-olds and under, the latest research shows that, they, that yeah, people from 30-year-old and, and under only give a 3% approval rating to the evangelical church in America. If you look at the statistics, in fact, I was just reading some on the airplane last night. Scary, scary. I don't even want to read them to you this morning. Of where people 35 and under, the trends and the way the trends have changed in the last 10, 15, 20, 30 years as far as participation in church, uh, religious affiliation, how many young people are leaving the church as soon as they, they can, as soon as they're, they're on their own. Uh, and here's the reason it's scary is because... Let me just tell you this, the evangelical church in America is losing 50,000 people a month. 
50,000 people a month. I mean, it's like, it's like the Amazon rainforest. I mean, it's like, they, it doesn't take long until you get to this tipping point where the exponential demise is on, and then you start looking at extinction. And now, people would have heard messages like this 80 years ago in Europe and said, oh, it's not that bad. Well, right now, you can barely even find the church in Europe. You go, you go to, to Europe, and you find thousands of church buildings that now are just pubs and bars and community centers or whatever. Um, there, it's, it's hard to find the church because, uh, not because they didn't come hip, become hip and cool when they needed to be, but they some way started losing the real message of Jesus. And now here's the good news. The good news, everybody's like going, wow. <laughs> Go ahead and hit that trap door down and get this guy out of here. Because this isn't, he's not bringing any good news. Here's the good news. The good news is all the trends and all the, all the research still shows that people, when you ask people, even non-Christians, what do they think about Jesus? People are like, man, Jesus. We love what Jesus was on about. What, and, and, and in fact, a lot of the research, there was a book that came out about seven years ago by uh, Gabe Lyons uh, and Dave Kinneman with the Barner Research that the book was titled Unchristian. And the reason it was called Unchristian is because after all the research with the American public, they, they, they kind of brought the data back and the answers and, and said that most, unchrist, most unchristian people look at Christians and say, Christians don't act Christ-like. They seem unchrist-like. Now, so let's go back to this neighborhood deal. About five years ago, my wife and I had become empty nesters. We had, had uh, our kids within, uh, all three of our children were born within 13 months of each other. So it just it happened about five years ago that, that they all left the nest within four months. I mean, our son went to Youth with a Mission in Australia. Our youngest daughter was in nursing school, got married. Our middle daughter finished school and went out on her own. And so... We had built this, we had built a, a, a home out on about 15 acres outside of St. Louis. We, we had horses and ducks and goats and chickens. It was this little hobby farm. And so all of a sudden one morning, you know, it's like we wake up and it's like American Gothic. You know, we're out standing, my wife and I, you know, like, <laughs> we gonna, do we want to keep doing this, you know? And, and, um, and I was like, I don't. I want to I be around some people. My, my wife, she loves the that stuff but so uh, as John said Brad my buddy that, that spoke a few weeks ago here uh, Brad and I had started working together on a lot of projects and doing a few things and so we just we said let's just do something crazy let's just let, so we moved across the state from St. Louis on the other side of the state to Kansas City and not only that we 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 left this little farm and we moved right in the heart of the city to this old neighborhood our house is 95 years old. Beautiful old neighborhood, beautiful um, tree-lined streets, just kind of Norman Rockwell-esque type of, of, of a neighborhood. I always just wanted to live in what they would call a walkable neighborhood, and so that, that's what it is. Now, six weeks after we moved into our house, it just, it just so happened that the house next to us was up for sale, too. Six weeks after, another uh, a young couple moved in with a couple of little boys, toddlers and uh it was kind of crazy because i went over to meet him 
uh, right after they moved in because he was rehabbing uh, their kitchen. And uh, went over and introduced myself. And within five minutes, John and I had discovered that, that our, our whole life was so much alike as far as what we were on about. He pastored a young congregation of, of 20-somethings. He was a worship leader, pastor, and involved with a lot of the same friends that I have all around the world. In fact, he and a small group of his guys were reading uh, my, one of my books. And it was just crazy. Within five minutes, we met each other, and we're standing there, and we're just crying because we're like, God sent us to this neighborhood. Um, it's a lot funner when you go on a journey not by yourself, right? And it was just like, I mean, we just felt this Holy Spirit moment like, wow. We thought God had sent us here. And Sherry and I were feeling that way. He and Alyssa were feeling that way. But then just to know, no, man, we're right here next door to each other. So we, it, it, And that's the beginning of just a, a wonderful dear friendship that we have with John and Alyssa and their kids. But what happened was, um, as we started getting to know neighbors, uh, directly across from John and Alyssa's house was a young couple that she was, uh, uh, Hillary is a, um, in fact, she's, she's got this bright red hair, and she's got a personality that matches it. She's, she, will, she will immediately introduce herself as a liberal, pro-choice, pro-women's rights, I hate the effing evangelicals. That's her introduction. She doesn't say effing, though. She actually, like, fills in the blanks. And so I'm like, well, good to meet you, too. You know, and, uh, I mean, it's like, she's just like this tornado. Her husband, Matt, he's, he's the laid-back one, you know, and so he's really laid-back. Uh, Matt, in fact, told me that he had grown up in a Southern Baptist church, went to church, you know, every... Every time the doors were open from his time in the womb till he was 18 years old, but then he, he was one of those stats that just couldn't wait to leave the church. In fact, he told me, he said, yeah, I mean, and he's, he knows the Bible. He said, I had Petra tapes. <laughs> That's legit, right? Okay, Petra tapes. Some of you are like, some of the young people are like, what's Petra, what are tapes? <laughs> so, so, um, Anyway, so, but he just, in fact, he, he says, yeah, he says, I, I don't want anything to do with it. He said, in fact, he says, I'm pretty much an atheist. Well, that was shortly after we met them. And um, uh, so fast forward six months. We're, six months later, we're sitting around the table one time, all six of us, the three couples. We had become friends. And Hillary starts unpacking. She says, let me tell you guys something. Uh, that, that happened when y'all first moved in. She said, Lance, when you and Sherry first moved in, because we moved in six weeks before John and Alyssa, she said, uh, and so she brings up Doug and Troy, which are a couple that live across the street from Sherry and I. Been together 25, 30 years. They lived in the neighborhood for 12 years at that point. She said, and, and, and Doug, by this time we'd, we'd found out Doug is known as, as, just, as the Gladys Kravitz of our neighborhood. He is, he is the nosiest. He's got binoculars. I'm not kidding. I mean, and he uses them. He knows stuff that's going to happen, but that happens before it ever happens. And he's the, like the neighborhood watch person and everything. He just, so anyway, she said, she said, Lance, when you and Sherry moved in, Doug went down to the courthouse to find out who bought the house, and then he came back and started researching you. That's kind of creepy, you know, and it's like, Wow. So she said, yeah, she said, so he starts Googling you, and he finds out, oh, he's this author, pastor guy, he's this evangelical guy, and he was horrified. 
Um, and so he went and he told Troy, and then she says, and then he came over, because Hillary had actually grown up in that house, so she had been there most of her life. So she went way back with Doug and Troy. He comes and he tells me, he says, hey, some evangelical leader dude has moved across the street. This is not good for our neighborhood. Um, because we've got lots of gay couples live in our neighborhood. You don't see, I don't think in, in the last election, in, in our whole probably 15 blocks, I don't think I saw one Republican political sign in the yard at all. That, so that's the picture of, of our neighborhood. So six weeks later, John and Alyssa move in. Doug goes down to the courthouse, <laughs> comes back. Google, oh, yes, oh, no, oh, my God, there's two of them. <laughs> Runs, tells Hillary, guess who the, new, the other new neighbors are? It's some evangelical freaking pastor dude. And Hillary's like, uh-uh. <laughs> She's just like freaking out. And she turns to Matt, she goes, we're moving. Now, they love their house. She grew up in this house. They had bought it, loved the neighborhood. Their plans were to raise their kids there. Literally, two weeks later, their house is on the market. Why? Because the evangelicals are going to screw up the neighborhood. There, you know, there goes the neighborhood. The Christians have moved in. Well, what happened was we started developing a relationship with them. And uh, uh, even with her hot intro to us, you know, we, you know, and she was shocked that we didn't immediately cut them off. And that we invited them over for dinner. We had them over for our house. We had Doug and Troy over. We had others over. John and Alyssa did the same thing, man. I mean, we had big porch parties and backyard parties and dinner parties. And th at, at, at some point, they kept waiting for us to, like, you know, drop the, you know, and, you know, like, Amway on Jesus, you know, like, okay. <laughs> Here's the slideshow. Here's the, okay. Here's the bridge. You're on this side. You know, if you die tonight, do you? You know, so the, the, we never did that. We just we became friends. And so their house, they put their house up for sale, um, like in January, and that's not a good time to sell a house in the Midwest. And so uh, by the spring is when houses start selling house just sits there all winter long. Well, during that time, we're becoming friends. Um, come spring, um, I, John told me, he said, man, he said, Matt and Hillary got two cash offers this week on their house. And we were really disappointed. Uh, so, uh, like a week later, I'm walking out, taking my recycling stuff out. And so, uh, John was doing the same thing. I look over and I see the for sale signs gone from their house. And I said, man, I said, Man, I really hate that they're that they're that they're leaving. I, I just really hate it. And he he comes running over. He goes, no, 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 man. He goes, check it out. He said last night they came over. He said they're not leaving. They 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 rejected the offers. They pulled it off the market. And I said, really? <laughs> Why? What happened? He goes, you're not gonna believe this. So he said they came over last night and said they're staying. And the reason they're staying is because of us. And I said, what? He said, yeah. He said, they said they did not want to leave us. I said, the evangelicals? <laughs> they don't want to leave us? And he said, no, man. They, they decided they didn't want to leave us. I'm like, I, I'm writing a book. Right? I'm working on a book on this whole issue. i got to find out more about this. So 
like a few weeks later, we're all sitting around, and I'm interviewing them. In fact, it's, it's in a book called Revangelical, and they didn't even want me to change their names or anything. So it's, it's all out there. So uh, I said, you know, tell, is, this really, is this really the reason? You, we haven't done anything special. We haven't done anything incredible. And they said, you know, that's really it. She said, you guys just were normal. You guys have just been normal. And she said, if nothing for, if for no other reason, I don't want to leave just out of curiosity. <laughs> you know, I just, you know, but, but, and then, you know, she said, no, but you guys have really become friends and you guys have just treated us um, like friends and you haven't treated, and here's what she said, you haven't treated us like projects. Listen, folks, people feel it when we treat people like some trophy to be had. Jesus didn't do that. In fact, I was talking with someone last night. People get into all this kind of itchy uncomfortableness about hanging out with, with non-Christians or people of different lifestyles, things that, you know, that we evangelicals like to really focus on. And the thing that got Jesus killed was the way he treated lost people and sinners. That's what got him killed. Uh, in fact, there's one place in Luke, I can't recall the exact passage, but it said that the Pharisees were upset with Jesus because he received sinners. And we get all, well, yeah, but is that approving of them? Is that accepting? Remember where you were before you were a Christian? How did, when did he, what were you like when he accepted you? What were you like when he received you? The scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly, Right? We were, always, you know, what does it mean to love, love God's enemy? Well, guess what? We were God's enemy. And he loved the hell out of us. And I didn't just cuss in church either, so, okay? <laughs> so, it, 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 so, as I started looking at my journey in Christianity, and I grew up as a Christian, grew up in a Baptist church, then my parents started moving more in kind of Pentecostal charismatic circles, Met my wife in, uh, in 1985 at Cross the Nations Bible College in, in Dallas, Texas. Tons of four-square AG people there and everything. So we would kind of started moving in those circles. But one of the things that always bothered me was it just seemed like, or, or, and I didn't even realize this until about 10 years into my journey of really ministry. So, so I, I, I kind of looked at my life and I thought, you know what? I really have gotten to this place where I've totally cut myself off from lost people, effectually. I've moved into the Christian bubble, and I thought that was a good thing. So I have so closed myself off in what I've called holiness that it's really eliminated my ability to really have any type of relationship with the people that God wants to send me to in the first place. And that was all wrapped up into this whole package called holiness, which is ironic because... Jesus' definition of holiness and the Pharisees' definition of holiness was two totally different things. And that was what the rub was all the time. So the, so the, the Pharisees were always worried about all this outside stuff. Don't do this on the Sabbath. Don't do that. Don't wear this. Don't, don't hang out with these type of people because you've got to be holy, which is in the, in, in the Greek means to be separate. That's what the word Pharisee actually means. It means separatist. So they thought they were holy because they were always separating themselves from the unclean, from anything that might defile them. Jesus had a different interpretation of holiness. Jesus 
interpretation of holiness was the word separate, but separate as a servant for God to be sent back into the world. So that's why Jesus is always saying stuff like, hey, make, make clean the inside of the cup and that'll take care of the outside of the cup. That's why Jesus would hang around with prostitutes and adulterists and tax collectors and drinkers and gluttons. And because he was like, I'm going for the heart. And if I get the heart, it'll take care of the outside stuff. The Pharisees were always worried about the outside of the stuff. They never dealt with their own unclean hearts, with their own unpure hearts. And so Jesus is always raising the level of, of what holiness really was. And Jesus was saying, hey, you guys say, if you can just stop and not commit adultery with another man's wife, you're all right. I'm telling you right now, you've got adultery in your heart. I want to deal with the adultery in your heart because if you look at a woman with lust, you've done the same thing. And you're all pious because you're not actually working the act out, but you're an adulterer of heart. He goes, you know, so he starts doing all this stuff with murder, with theft, with all this stuff. Jesus is actually raising the level, but he's doing it in this inverse, subversive way. And that's the way his whole ministry really operated. But when I started looking at my life, it was so typical of so many others, I started realizing that so many of us that have grown up in Christianity, it's not long until we actually start separating ourselves from the very people that we're called to be in proximity and relationship with. I was uh, on a radio interview three or four months ago with, a, um, with this disc jockey that, that well, he had a kind of a typical talk show, kind of a conservative talk show. I'm talking about this book called Revangelical had just come out. So we're talking about a few of these things around the, these ideas that I'm talking about right now. And uh, I said something about Jesus was the friend of sinners. And, he, and so he says, yes, but what does that word friend mean? And I said, well, uh, I've got a little, little theological training, got a little Greek background. I said, do you know what the... Greek word for friend means? And he goes, no. And I go, well, you want me to unpack it? He goes, yeah, that'd be great. And so I said, okay. The, this is live talk radio syndicated all across the nation. I said, okay, the word friend in the Greek means, and I could almost hear the guy with his pen ready to write it down. It means friend. <laughs> okay, well, we're going to go to commercial now, folks. And that, uh, you know, it's just like, no, really, that's what it means. It means he was their actual friend, and they could feel it. And now we immediately we get all hooked up on, well, yeah, but you know, this, was he not dealing with their sin? Was he not dealing with his? Well, we'll we'll we'll, we'll look at a little bit of that. Let's look right now at Matthew five, verse thirteen. The most famous sermon ever preached, much less Jesus' most famous sermon. Uh, Matthew 5.13, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a, set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
Now, Jesus says, if salt loses its savor, if it loses its taste, it's good for nothing but to be trampled under feet. Well, by and large, that's what's happened to, the, to Christianity in America. For a lot of people there on the outside looking in, they're saying, it's just, it's lost its flavor. It's lost its salt. I love, I, I love the way that Eugene Peterson says this in the message. He said, you are the ones that are bringing out the God flavors in this earth. The God flavors in this earth. I mean, we should be, when we move into the neighborhood, people should be high-fiving. Amen? They should be excited when we move into the neighborhood that we're not just going to make them projects, but we're going to actually bring out the God flavors in the neighborhood. But Jesus says, if you don't do that, it's good for nothing but to be trampled under feet. Well, about 40 years ago, 40, 50 years ago, it's really kind of in the mid-60s, a lot of the leading um, scholars and theologians were starting to realize that there were trends. And you can go back and you can study and you can see the research that the trends of the American church were starting to decline. There was starting to be a, a change happening, and it was alarming. So they started putting their heads together and thinking. Uh, and so this whole idea, this whole... Uh, it actually ended up becoming an industrial com Christian industrial complex of church growth started popping up. In fact, Fuller Seminary uh, opened up the Fuller uh, Institute of Church Growth. So you started hearing, leaders would start hearing this banding about this term of church growth studies and church growth metrics and church growth processes. And so the idea of wh what do we do to turn our churches around and to grow our churches. And so there started being uh, a lot of innovative things started taking place in the 70s. And by the 80s, there was a moniker uh, by the late 80s and early 90s, there was a moniker that was put to it that started being called the seeker movement. And some of you maybe have heard the term the seeker movement. So you started hearing about seeker churches. One of the prototypical seeker churches would have been Saddleback, would have been Willow Creek out of Chicago. These were the two leading seeker churches. So the whole idea was we have to position our church and posture our church and present our church in such a way that seekers will want to come to us. And so you started seeing these uh, ideas of excellence and ideas of, of, of having the best of everything. And so and you started seeing pastors' libraries change so that there were starting to be as many books from the business world and from the marketing field in pastors' libraries as anything else. Because... We were thinking, man, we just need to make church good enough that people want to come. And it reminds me of the old Starkist tuna commercials. Um, some of you will remember Charlie the Tuna. Remember Charlie? In fact, they kind of brought him back lately. But, you know, he, was, he wanted to be, uh, you know, Starkist moniker was Starkist, tuna that tastes great. So he, but he had this inverted, and he thought it meant that they were saying tuna with great taste. So, you know, every commercial, he's showing up like in a, with a martini and a Hugh Hefner smoker's jacket, or he drives up in a Rolls Royce, and he's trying to prove to Starkist that he's got great taste. And, of course, at the end of every commercial, they drop down the little fish hook with the sign, and what it say? Sorry, Charlie. And they'd say, you know, Starkist is looking for tuna that tastes great, not tuna with great taste. Well, that's kind of what happened in the, in the church growth deal, is that leaders thought, well, what the world's looking for is church with great taste. And... The metric, here's the deal, in spite of everything that we've done to try to create cool church, the church is still tanking in America. You're getting more mega churches. So what's happening is, is 
the, the disappearance of the medium-sized church. And so you're either going to be a small church or you're going to be a mega church. And that really is what's happening in America now. So you've got consumers of religious goods and services that are showing up on Sundays just for, you, you better have a hot band, you better have good coffee out front, you better doggone well have good children's ministry. In fact, John can tank it here with the message, but if little Susie and Johnny are happy, we're coming back next week. Youth ministry, all this stuff. And this is what the focus started, started being on. If we can just, just present cool church, people will come. Now, here's the irony of this seeker movement. The irony of it is this. We made the wrong person the seeker. We made the lost the seeker. Jesus didn't say the lost was the seeker. Jesus said he was the seeker. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that who is lost. And so this is why Jesus was always getting thrown out of the synagogues and tabernacles. And he, he was doing the stuff on the streets. He was doing the stuff out there. He was going to the people. And he sent us. That's the whole issue of the Great Commission. Go you into all the world. But we said, no, it's, church is going to become field of dreams. If we build it, they'll come. Guess what? They didn't. Here's the people that did come. Church people. So you build a cool church, you move into a new area, if you got enough funding, I mean, I've been doing church planning for 20 years, there's just like a recipe for it. If, first of all, here's the real cool thing, if you can get a good, cool, good-looking couple, uh, like a Ken and Barbie on Jesus, and get them to plant a church, you get a hot band, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you get a smoke machine, and so, <laughs> I call it the Shekinah Glory. And so, you know, you just make up for all the stuff that you don't have in the spirit, and then you just go plop it, and if you have enough money behind it and everything, and if you got the good graphics department and all this, and you can pull it off, then you just add water and you got church. But guess who came? People that fill these churches up. When I hear the stories, oh, yeah, we started a church, and in two years we're running 4,000. Really? Now, we're, so how many of those were souls saved that came? How many of those people have you baptized? Because normally what it is, it's ticked off Christians in the area that came to your church. I'm just, I'm one of those guys that calls it like it sees it. You know, I mean, I, I don't have to live with this, John. I get to leave today. So, Okay? Here's the deal. You guys have particularly been through a major transition in this church. Here's the deal. If you get back to the basics of being the people of God, you won't be able to build buildings big enough to hold people. Okay? And look, I love worship. I love good music. Why would you want to have bad music? I want good music. I want good coffee. I want good children's ministry and all that. But here's the deal. If we're not people that are empowered with the Holy Spirit, and if we're not filled with the Spirit, we can do all the outside trappings that we want, and all we're going to do is, is collect consumer Christians. But if we want to change the world, we start in our neighborhoods. You start in your neighborhoods because you are the priests. You are the pastors and the prophets and the evangelists and the apostles and the teachers just as much as John and the staff is. Now, that really should have gotten an amen instead of a, uh. Now, it's too late. You don't get credit now. So, I mean, you are. You are just as called. Absolutely. One of the... One of the dirtiest phrases that we've ever allowed to come into church is the term full-time ministry. 
What, what's, what, if you're not in full-time ministry, what are you? Half, you thought I was going to say it, ministry? No, I wasn't saying half-time, right? I mean, what do you mean? I mean, we're, we're all called, right? Because what's the word ministry mean? People say, I mean, I have people come up to me all the time and go, oh, just waiting for God to send me into the ministry. What do you mean? You're waiting on God to send Yeah, I just want, God, or people go, I want God to give me a ministry. And, and I've heard other people come up and just go, you know, they just won't let me minister at that church. What's the word minister mean? Serve. Who can stop you from serving? You want a ministry? You want a, a service tree? Well, start where you live. Start where you work. Start where you play. Become a minister, a full-time servant. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I come as one who serves. And we've turned that in the church industrial complex into being becoming one who leads. Jesus didn't say a whole lot about leading. When he did, he was pretty kind of beat it up. He was always on his disciples going, you guys are all about who's going to be on top and who's going to lead. And he says, if you want to really be on top, become the least. Become the servant of all. Become the slave. Do the menial duties. Wash the feet. Clean the dishes. You know, become, become the one who, who serves and undergirds. A couple years ago, I, was sitting, I was at, spoke at a conference, and it was kind of a break in between sessions, and there were four or five of us that had spoke. They were sitting in a kind of a refreshment room, and uh, there was a, a young guy there who was an artist and also a, 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 a speaker. And he said, hey, let me tell you guys what happened this past Sunday. He said, I think we were in Mobile, Alabama at this conference. He said, I was over in, 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 uh, in Atlanta last Sunday and spoke at a church just outside of Atlanta. And he said, in fact, I'd spoke at this church a year before, exactly a year before. And they invited me back. He said, this Sunday, after I spoke, he said, this little old lady comes up to me, and she says, hey, do you remember me? And I said, you've got to help me. And she said, well, last year, she said, you, when you spoke here, uh, you prayed for me after the service. He said, I remembered it. And then he told us guys, he said, yeah. He said, man, this little lady, the year before, she, she had come up just crying after I spoke. And she said, it wasn't like good crying either. It wasn't, it was just, she was tore up. He was talking about some of the same kind of stuff I'm talking about this morning, a lot of the stuff John's been speaking on. And so she, she had, that year before, she'd come up and she, she said, uh, you know, I, I, she said, I grew up in the church, I've been a Christian my, as long as I remember. I've served faithfully. She said, but, but, but everything I did was all related to inside the church. And she said, I never heard some of these concepts about loving on your neighbors and living with the talents that you had and, I just never thought I was called to ministry. And she said, now here I am, I'm 78 years old. My life's over. And uh, it just really, I'm devastated by it. And he's like, no, your life's not over. You're breathing. You're, 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 your life is not over. And so he, he, he told us, he said, so I asked her, you know, tell me about where you live. Let's start there. She says, well, I live in an apartment. I've lived for about 12 years. She said, I'm on a fixed income. I've been a, I think she said 17 years she'd been a widow. She said, I've lived in this apartment. For, he said, do you have friends that live in apartments? She said, not really. She says, she says I'm on a real tight budget. And um, she said, and so um, things are kind of broken down in this apartment building. And she said that a lot of people kind of move in and go through. And so people don't stay that long. And uh, so he says, well, look, would you pray? He, would you just tonight when you go home, just pray the Lord's Prayer? 
over your apartment building. And especially consider thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And particularly, he, he told her, he said, focus in on your earth, your apartment building. And think in terms and then just open your heart up to the Holy Spirit to speak to you and say, well, what are the gaps between what heaven would bring to your earth? In other words, what's happening right here on my earth that would not be happening if heaven had something to do about it? She said, okay. So she comes back. A year later, she's standing there. She says, big smile on her face this time. You want to know what happened in the last year? And he's like, yeah, I do. And she says, so I went home that night and I started praying that prayer. And she said, uh, I didn't feel anything, you know. She said, in fact, I prayed, and I turned on the evening news, and I was sitting there, and she said, and all of a sudden, just kind of this thought went through my mind, this picture. She said, I, I, she said, um, she said every uh, school day, about 7 o'clock in the morning, there's, a, there's four or five young teenagers that gather right under my window at the school bus stop, and they wait for the school, for the, for the bus to show up. She said, and, and I, um, she said, I've heard, a lot of some of the people around talk about that a lot of these single moms and stuff, they can't feed their kids well. And she said, I've just heard some of these kids don't even eat over the weekend or they just, they, they don't have a lot of food. And she says, and then she looks at my buddy and she says, you know, she says, I was thinking about the, the heaven on earth deal. And she says, I cook a mean blueberry muffin. And she says, in fact, some people say it's heavenly. And she, so she says, I thought, you know, it might be a blessing for these kids if I made them some muffins in the morning. So she said, I got all my stuff out. I got up early the next morning. I made these from blueberry muffins from scratch. Made six muffins, took them down. And she says, I was really kind of intimidated and scared. There was these teenage kids. And she said, I walked up. And she said, before I even made the offer, there were hands and just <laughs> crumbs, you know. And she said, they thanked me as, the, you know, as they're puffing, you know, crumbs out of their face. And and she said, I went back up, and she said, I was just so touched. She said, it just made my day. I was just, she said, I just, I just danced with Jesus the rest of the day. And so she said, it just really made my day. And uh, um, she said, so that night, I just had such a good day. She said, I got to thinking, you know what? I bet tomorrow morning those kids would like blueberry muffins. And so she said, I did the same thing. Went down the next morning, same thing. Kids just scarfed them down. Did it the next morning, and she said, it had just made my whole week. And she said, so Thursday morning, I made six more muffins and went down there. And she said, but there was a problem. She said, there were seven kids. <laughs> and uh, she said, so they actually had to break a few of them up. And so they thanked me. In fact, she said, I started, you know, we all exchanged names. We were starting to kind of get to know each other. And she said, on Friday, she said, there were nine kids. <laughs> so she said, she said, I better get another muffin pan out. So Monday, she makes two uh two pans of muffins and there were a dozen kids and she said i'm telling you for all the years i'd never seen more than five kids outside my window and the first three days there were five well by the end of the week there's 15 kids showing up for blueberry muffins well this starts going i mean she starts cranking out these muffins she's on a tight budget it, it really it's, it's hard for her but she's just it's changing her life and she's getting to know these kids after six weeks she gets a knock on the door one afternoon apartment manager says uh uh, Vivian or whatever her name was, can I come, can, can I visit with you for a minute? Can I come in? She invites him in. Now, he had been there for about seven years. He knew her real well. He said, hey, he said, I wanted to talk to you. Um, she said, he said, um, and he's got, I got this furrowed brow, and he said, uh, uh, some of us on the staff, we've noticed that, that, that you've been spending some time with some of the teenagers. And she looked at, at and she told my buddy, she said, I thought he thought I was a gangbanger. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> 
you know, like a drug dealer or something, you know, and, hey, okay, you go, here's what we're selling bennies and reds today, you know, and we got a special, you know, a dime bag, you know, and so, uh, so <laughs> she, she, he's like, no, 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 you're not in trouble, you're not in trouble, she, he said, look, here's the deal, he said, you've lived here long enough, you know all the vandalism that we have around here, she, and, and then he gave her a dollar figure, he said, in fact, in our budget, there's this amount that goes just to fix the tagging and the holes in the walls and the broken windows and everything. And he says, um, this morning in our staff meeting, he said, we got together and we've been scratching our heads. He said, because I've been here for seven years and we've never gone a week without an incident. He said, for the last four weeks, we've not had so much as a scratch on a wall. And then he tells her, he says, now, somebody spoke up. We're like, what's the deal? And somebody says, it's Vivian and those blueberry muffins. <laughs> and he goes, I've known you long enough to know it's real tight on your budget and everything and I know that even this amount probably hurts you he's and so he said your rent is half of what we set aside just to fix stuff from vandalism I'm here to make you a deal he says if you'll keep making the blueberry muffins your apartment will be free from now on this is a true story this ain't a preacher story okay so he says if you'll just keep doing that and she's like yeah you know so um so what happens then over the next few months, she's unpacking this to my buddy, and she's saying over the next six months, you know, I start getting to know moms of these kids. They're asking if the kids can come and hang out uh, on days that they can't get, that the moms can't get home after working time. And I'm developed, she said, basically I'm starting to counsel and disciple these kids and their moms. And then the kids start asking me if they can come to church. And she said, it's gotten to the point, it got to the point, after nine months, she had four of her widow friends all showing up in their little Honda Accords and Toyotas on Sunday and packing like 20 kids, taking them to church. Kids, she's named baptisms, da-da-da, all this. I mean, it's just crazy. She says, after nine months, the phone rings, and it's my pastor, and he said they just bought two 15-passenger vans and, got, and, and have people to drive them. And she said, Vivian... We're going, to take you, we're going to start hauling your youth group to church on Sunday. She said, I'm a 78-year-old youth pastor now. <laughs> I mean, it's doggone amazing, you know. And, and so here's the deal. This all started just with her saying, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on my earth as it is in heaven. Lord, what have you put in my hands? Let me get salty again. Let me bring the God flavors out in my neighborhood. Let me tell you, in our neighborhood with Matt and Hillary and others, we're on a four-year journey now. I, you know, and I've, I've had people, if I, if I tell this story, I've had people come up to me and go, now, so what's the, what's, the, what's the rest of the story about Hillary? You know, you know, oh, I baptized her two years ago. You know, now she's teaching Sunday school. You know, no, no, that's not happened. You know, in, fa in fact, uh, uh, last time I saw Hillary was a couple of weeks ago. She had... Uh, Facebooked, she works at a bar around the corner. She Facebooked that she wanted a certain kind of candy bar. And, and if somebody will bring me this candy bar, I'll, give them a, I'll buy them a free drink tonight. And so it's like 10 o'clock at night. I told Sherry, I said, I'm going to go out and get Hillary her candy bar. <laughs> and so I walked into the bar. It was packed out Saturday night, you know. And I walked into the bar. And she saw me, for, and she knew. She goes, Lance. Do you have a cherry mash? And I like, I pulled two of them out like this. Like, yes. And she's like, this is my neighbor. This is my pastor friend I've told you all about. This is Lance. And they're like, oh, for you. 
<laughs> so we are dear, dear friends. In fact, Hillary two months ago asked Alyssa if she could join her Bible study. So we're on this beautiful journey that's happening. And you know what? We're fine with it. We're very patient with it. We're very patient. Because here's the deal. The key, they are stepping into the kingdom of God. And Matt and Hillary are actually being discipled and they don't even know it. And that's exactly what happened with the disciples. Here's the deal. When did the disciples, Jesus' disciples, get converted? The scripture says it was after the cross. In fact, it even uses the word. In fact, Jesus on the, word, on, the, on the road to Emmaus says, you go back and tell the other guys, when they are converted, da 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 da, da. Okay? They were being discipled pre-conversion. So discipleship doesn't start after people cross the line of faith, whatever scripture that is, I still can't find. Okay, that just threw a speed bump in. You can deal with that next week. So. Yeah, that's right. I'm getting back away from you. Okay. Here's the deal. Everything's just not all neat and tidy in our little theological conclusions like we think it is. Is Jesus the way and the only way and the only truth and the only light? Absolutely, 100%. But the way he gets into people's lives is not just in an evangel cube or some little four spiritual laws that are on some track with some cartoons or whatever. The cross is so much bigger than that. Jesus' way of reaching people is so much more effective than that. His most effective way is through you and through me. Amen? Is church important? You better believe it's important. The fellowshipping of the saints is coming together and being filled and refilled and re-energized and celebrating what the Lord has done, but then to be sent back out into the world. That's really the mission that God's called us to. Jesus didn't say, I've come that you would have church and have it more abundantly. I'm just, I got your whole year sermon series set, set up. So anyway, he came to give us life and for us to transfer that life into the people that he has sent us in, 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 in proximation to and where we live, work, and play. Father God, just, we pray that you would open our imaginations to the places that you've sent us to, the place that you've called us to. And, it, and, and to re-adventurize this adventure of walking with Jesus, Lord. I know that Satan would want nothing more than just to keep us boxed in into just a church box. But you've called us to go out into the world and to seek and to save the lost just like you did and like you did in our own lives. And I pray for every person this morning that you would energize and that you would open up our imaginations to that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you say thank you to Lance for this morning? Yeah. I, th- I think you got a louder cheer than Brad did. So, oh, yeah? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So we like you more. So. <laughs> no. Hey, uh, just, just we have a couple minutes before we wrap up. Um, um, I want to ask you one question that probably could take a long time to answer, but I know you can, you can kind of summarize. So the, sh- the story of Vivian that you shared, your mm-hmm. own experience in your own neighborhood in Kansas City, um, you talk about living in a suburban neighborhood. That's us. Yeah. That's Simi Valley. That's San Fernando. I mean, that's, I mean, it's changing in San Fernando Valley. But um, could you share just briefly um, how you, you know, moving from where you were on mm-hmm. your property into a city, into a neighborhood, what kind of things did you do to establish or maybe even change the rhythm of your own life so that you find yourself 
connecting with people yeah. in your because because in Simi Valley the typical experience in Simi Valley all of us experience it you drive home from work you mm -hmm. pull into your driveway you open your Plus garage, garage yep, and you close it and right. then and that's what everybody does right so in that kind of context mm -hmm. how do you break out of that yeah. to really build relationship in your neighborhood yeah. what are well, some things a you, couple you know? of things I'll tell you a couple mm -hmm. of things and one of the things is just purposely spending more time outdoors um, mm -hmm. and outside uh, inviting people uh, and one of the easiest things to do is to invite someone over, like, for dessert. But we purposely said, okay, we're not going to do a one-on-one. -on -one. We, we'll always invite two or three or four couples because it, it can just get, it can feel icky, yeah. you know. And especially if someone is like, this ain't happening, I want to get out of here. It's a lot easier to leave if there's other people. And those are the practicals of it, you know. And so just start out. Here's the deal. Get to know your neighbors, first of all. There are people that live in neighborhoods that have lived there four, five, six years, and they don't even know the names of the people. It is as simple. Now, when you move into a new neighborhood, you got a fresh start. Mm -hmm. But I've had tons of friends that have said, okay, i got to just break the ice, and have literally walked across the street, knocked on the door, and said, hey, I've lived over here four years. I'm embarrassed. In fact, we've exchanged names before. I can't remember your name. Every time people say, that other person goes, I'm sorry, I feel the same way. I'm so glad you came over here. And so let's just do a fresh start. Hey, that's the cross sometimes. That may be your cross right now. That's a small price to pay for eternity, isn't it? To say, okay, oh, but Jesus, you know, it was so embarrassing. And I know, you know, Paul was snake bit and he was stoned. And I was just embarrassed to go across the street. And it was the same type of deal that Paul went through, you know. So, no, take the pain. You know, take the embarrassment. Take the shame or whatever. Just get to know your neighbors. Stay outside. One of the things that Brad lives, um, in fact, John and I, uh, are starting one of these in about three weeks. Brad lives in a typical suburb. He started a fire pit. Did he talk about the fire pits at all? He might have. I don't it's know. Pretty if he amazing, man. Context, yeah. So he just like went down to Home Depot, got a, got one of those little fire pits, put it on his driveway, and started inviting guys to just come hang out, and smoke cigars around the fire. It is amazing what has happened. We've got a buddy that leads a mega church. He's one of our best friends. Leads a mega church in Kansas City that just started doing that in his neighborhood, and he'd invite a couple of his church buddy friends, and then guys. And here's the deal: there's something about men and fire. Okay, <laughs> so like these guys in the neighborhood would be walking down the street, and they would like see three or four guys sitting around yeah. a fire pit smoking cigars, and they're kind of like, "What are you doing?" You know, kind of like, "Can I come?" You know, here's what's happened in three years: Dan Sutherland, Westside Family Church. He has led and baptized 30 guys from his neighborhood that started with the fire pit. That's there awesome. are 35 fire pit groups in Kansas City going out that wow. other guys in the church, guys that go, man, I work at the factory. I could never have a ministry. They're, they can't keep up with the discipling that they're doing right now just That's because awesome. of these fire pit stuff. But it's just proximity and getting out there, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and now, well, like in my neighborhood, we made a decision, okay, we're going to shop locally and we're going to get to know the names of the people that own the shops and everything. Mm -hmm. And so and that, that's one of the things that we've done there, too. I mean, we could talk a lot about that. No, that's excellent. That's excellent. We're, you know, we're going to conclude. I know Lance will be uh, up front here if you want to uh, pick his brain a little bit more. But uh, so obviously a few things that Lance said. Anybody ever heard any of those before? So and it wasn't just because I read Missional Quest. Okay. I've, we've talked about that, that God is at work in the church in North America. There's a, there's a trend, and he's shifting us, and he's shifting New Hope that direction as well to, to help to see ourselves 
as we're, we're, we are the sent ones into our neighborhoods, and, and, and we, we serve a God who's a missionary God. And because of that, there's a shift. There's a complete, it's, it's more than a shift. We've talked about it. It's a recreation of who we are as a church. And this is part of that journey, and that's why I'm so blessed that we had Brad come and now Lance mm-hmm. come, because in their experience, this is, this is the journey they, they've walked through, especially Lance's own experience pastoring a church and then feeling the string within him about, okay, there's got to be something different about what God has set up to the church to be and who am I supposed to be as a follower of Jesus. So I want to close with this, and I'll pray. I think one of the things that, that, that Lance said that is so important, even sharing, sharing the story about Vivian, is, you know, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a practitioner, so it's like, okay, how do you do this, mm-hmm. you know, and and we could have Brand, or Lance up here all day and give us the how-tos he does it in Kansas City. But Kansas City is not Simi Valley. And, and his neighborhood is not our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But when we will, we will ask the Lord by the Holy Spirit to show us what does it look like for heaven to come to earth in my neighborhood. I would love for us to have lots of stories about Vivian's yeah. that... You know, I just ask God, what, what do you want to do in my neighborhood? What am I not seeing that I need to see? What do you need to open my eyes to? What, what is your blueberry muffin? I mean, exactly. seriously, what, yeah. what, do, what do you know how to do? What, what, is your, what are the resources and the talents that you have? And, uh, man, I could stand up here for hours and tell you some serious stories about more muffin stories of people that just thought, I've got nothing to work with, but then the kingdom blows up because they take what they had in their hand. That's awesome. That's awesome. Let's stand together. Let me pray. Let me pray for, for Lance as well. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this journey that you have us on. As we, as we listen to your heart for the church and most importantly for the world and understand, Lord, that you are at work in us and through us. Lord, I thank you for Lance and the, the message that he's brought to us. Is a reminder, Lord, to, to really go back to how you lived life when you were on the planet, how you were literally friend of sinners, that you related to people who were broken, and you had this amazing ability to, to love people who were sinners, but not to reject them, but to accept them. Mm-hmm. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to live that out for the, the people that we live around, Lord, even even in our own. I know that discomfort of how do I relate to someone who I disagree with, and Lord Jesus, you've demonstrated mm-hmm. you disagree with our lifestyle, mm-hmm. but you still accept us. So, Lord, by your spirit, give us the wisdom, give us the understanding. Lord, as we've said, show us, Lord, what is the blueberry muffin that you want us to contribute or to our neighborhoods, to our communities, so that ultimately, Lord, we can be people who influence our city so that your kingdom will come, your will will be done around Mm -hmm. us. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen.